Well, it's so good to be with y'all, and how encouraging is it? Isn't it worth getting out of bed and coming to church this morning? We all need to be encouraged by one another, and there's such a power and a gift when God's people gather together. This is why we are the body, you know, because it's that corporate worship, corporate faith that we have that encourages us until the day we see Jesus face to face, and then we have this awesome feast and party together. And so it is so good to worship with you this morning. Pastor Rich is away. I am Helen Kim Nowak, a pastor of Community Life here at the church. And as I was reflecting and preparing for, you know, this particular passage, we're going to be in sec, sec, uh, Colossians 2, 16 to 23. I was just thinking about how prevalent hierarchy is in the world around us. Whether it's, you know, we're shivering and standing outside in a long, long line, as people make the VIP list, they can go right in to a favorite, you know, venue or a show. You know, those on that list, the door just swings wide open. The rest of us, is it moving? Is the line moving? You know, and we're hoping it'll move a little bit faster. Or it might be in your workplace or in your particular type of career. There's things that you have learned or studied or experienced, and there is a VIP list. There are those who are a little bit higher ranked and those who are working their way up. And then, if you don't see it anywhere else, you just need to take one trip at the airport and you know what hierarchy looks like. <laughs> priority lane, those of you in the first class, please make your way forward and use the priority lane. As those of us in economy are like, okay, maybe around round six I'll get called. <laughs> There's like group five, group six. Uh, but that red carpet, that special lane, and those in first class or a special group get to just walk right in and then the rest of us walk on the non-carpeted side. <laughs> I always wonder, like, after the people use the priority link, why can't we also get to enjoy the walk on the red carpet, you know, just to go into coach? Like, at least I get the red carpet. But there's hierarchy all around us, and lately our family, and myself especially, because I've been very diligent as of late, we'll see how long it goes, um, I've been wrestling with this hierarchy in an app called Duolingo. A couple of months ago, our family decided we all wanted to learn Spanish uh, for different reasons, and we have different levels of learning. So we're all tackling it, and because it's a game, it's been super fun. But, I mean, take a look at this Duolingo scoreboard. This was a recent one, and I am working my way. I have been diligently working my way to Obsidian League. There's one more to go, but I heard you don't go anywhere after that, so I'm not sure where my motivation will go. But in Duolingo, it's a fun game because they're constantly ranking you. How many words did you learn this week? How are you doing compared to your particular group? Are you higher or lower? And the funniest for me is there's a promotion zone. So if you really work hard and stay in the top of the group, you get promoted to the next league. But they also have a demotion zone, guys. <laughs> I just found that so sad. I fell into the demotion. I was like, seriously? Like, <laughs> I'm trying to learn here. And I could then drop to the lower level league. And so there's a constant ranking that is going on, and not just in this kind of a game to learn, but all around us. But there is one place where there is no room for hierarchy, and that is the church. Amen? We are all at the same table, and there is no priority lane. There's no VIP table, and there 
every Christian, every Christ follower is full access, priority to God. And we're all seated at one table. There's no economy table. We're all at the VIP table with God. And that's something we know in our head, but sometimes it can be really hard to live out in our lives because all around us are comparisons. Where are you on this? Where do you rank in that? You know, in your family, where do you rank? In your school, where do you rank? In your career, where do you rank? And there's constant ranking going on. And so sometimes I think that can easily color our faith as clearly in the Colossian church they were experiencing. So we've been in a series in Colossians, and Pastor Rich has framed it for us that there's these chunks that focus on key things that help us remember. And it begins with a prologue, where Paul starts his letter, as he does with many of his letters, with grace and peace. And how important is it for us to start everything that we do with grace and peace? You know, when we wake up in the morning and see our families, grace and peace. When we walk into the office, grace and peace. With our friendships, with the stranger we meet, as we're grocery shopping, grace and peace. And then from the prologue, the passages move on to a prayer, and there's a beautiful prayer that you can hold on to and pray over your life. What a powerful prayer. If you pray nothing else, that is one awesome prayer to hold on to about just being in the will of God. Paul says in Colossians 1, you know, this prayer of continually asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and being strengthened with his power. There's so much in that prayer to pray every single day over our families, over our lives, our friendships, our neighborhoods. And then from the prayer, it goes to a poem that many Christians then would have known reminding this church as they were wrestling with this other thoughts, other things that were not gospel, that were like pressuring the church to fold into these ways of the world. A poem that reminds them that all things are held together in Jesus alone. And everything is created through Jesus alone. Your life is held up by Jesus alone. You are not the carrier of your life. This world is not carried by you and me. It is carried by Jesus. All things are held together by him and through him. And then it gets, Paul starts that way, and then he gets to the problem that he's hearing happening at this church. He's not at the church. He's in prison as he's writing this. And he, he is such a father to the church. You know, and he longs to make sure that they will be okay, that they will not lose their way and lose the precious faith that Jesus so costly he gave his life to give. And so the problem was that the Colossian church were seeing it within themselves in the crowd, adding something to Jesus for the completion of life. So, yeah, Jesus, awesome. What you give me is great, but I also want nice things. And so you don't really fulfill me. You cannot really fulfill me, but I want nice things. I want approval. I want success, whatever that means. I want some kind of spiritual experiences. So Jesus plus blank equals a complete life. And that is not the case. Jesus alone gives us a complete life. And anything we add to Jesus detracts from the gospel. It actually makes us in bondage rather than giving us a true freedom because it's Jesus alone that gives us that. And then the last is priority. 
So today we're going to look at priority, which is looking at that priority lane. There was a desire as connected to the problem where the Colossians were seeing this desire for priority within the church, a desire within the church to walk that priority lane and have that VIP access. But in God's family, there is no priority lane. There is no VIP access. So let's take a look at the passage today from Colossians 2, 16 to 23. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink and listen to the proving and the hierarchy that was going on. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental forces, spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And so throughout Colossians, Paul has been emphasizing the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. Everything is in Jesus, and in Jesus all things are held together. Not in me, not in you, not our family, not our workplaces, not our neighborhood, but in Jesus alone. And so Jesus is our ultimate GPS. You guys, you know, use Google Maps. Like, let's say Google Maps is GPS. I use it all the time, constantly. You know, it's kind of a shame. <laughs> I don't know if maybe my directional mind no longer knows how to get to places. I could have figured out before. But there's its dependence, and you know, when you go off the route, it reminds you, recalculating route, and it directs you right back to another way to get to where you need to go. But in Christ, but in the family of God, Jesus is our GPS, and I kind of like to think of it this way. GPS stands for Global Positioning System. Jesus is our God Positioning System. He is the one that positions you in the family of Jesus. Nothing else. No experience Whatever, whether it's a spiritual one or a life one or any kind, positions you in the family of Jesus. No knowledge, no matter how much you know of scripture, positions you in the family of Jesus. Only Jesus and what he has done allows us, you and I, to be in the family of God. And that is so important to remember that it's not by our value and what our worth is not earned by our behavior. And so we're going to go through this passage from 16 to 23, almost verse by verse. I know that's not something we normally do, but there's just so much to unpack that it's kind of almost helpful to go through the verses. And so in verse 16, it starts off with, Paul says, do not, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. 
And all those things were rituals in the Old Testament that God had given his people to practice being a holy people. Good things pointing to a greater reality to come that has already now come to the Colossians in Jesus. They're pointing to something. They're not something in themselves. It's all in Jesus. And essentially, as some of the Christians in Colossae were practicing, you know, being really harsh to their body, not eating certain things, not drinking certain things, making sure they practice every single celebration and festival religiously, they were essentially saying, I'm a first-class Christian. Oh, that person over there, hmm, hardly seems to pray or hardly seems to do this. They must be an economy Christian. But in the church, there is no such thing. But how often do we look at our behavior and our practices as an evaluation of where we stand and fit in the family of God? Oh, wow, look at that person. They're up here in the church. Oh, I'm still here. You know, and there's this sense of evaluating, but Paul's like, no, 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 no. Don't let anyone judge you. Do not receive the judgment of others. This is not what our standing in God is about. Jesus is our God positioning system. He is the one alone that allows us to be in the family of God. So a question for you. Are you judging yourself by what Jesus says about you and what he has done or the voices of others? You know, do you feel better about yourself and worse about yourself based on what family is saying, how work is going? You know, those things are real and they can take a toll, but your worth is determined by Jesus alone. And that is the truth that we had to hold on to. And so if we're comparing ourselves in any way or receiving comparison from others, Paul says, let it go. Don't let anyone judge you. That is not how we are standing in God. Not our, by our behavior, not by what words are said. Verse 17 says, these are a shadow. These things, these practices, the eating, what you eat, what you drink, what you don't eat, what you don't drink, practicing the Sabbath, practicing the new moon festivals, all these things to worship and honor God in theory. He says, these are shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, or another word there, the Greek there is really substance. The substance, however, is found in Christ. The reality is found in Christ. So there's shadows and there's substance. And to Paul's hearers, they would have picked this up. Because in a Hellenistic world, they were very familiar with a certain allegory, Plato's allegory of the cave. And in this, Plato has this kind of an image for us to think about. And so imagine there are some people who are born in a cave. And the cave is deep, 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 deep down underneath, where it's super dark. But there is a tunnel leading up to the light. And so some light is coming from there. And then these people from birth or when they're really young, this is where they live. So this is all they know. On top of that, they are bound. And so they can only look straight forward. They can't turn around to see what's happening behind them or to the side. They can only look forward. Behind them is a great fire and a low wall. And so there's people going on back and forth behind them, going up to the light. But all these people can see is the flickering of shadows so someone is carrying a vase and they're walking by and all they see is this shape and they think this is reality. This is the world as we know it. They can't even see the people next to them. 
They can only see what's ahead. They, see, they hear a sound behind them, and then they see some sort of movement, something tall going by, and they go, oh, that must be the world. And so these shadows are nothing compared to the reality. But this is all they know. And Paul likens, he says this image that they would have known to the Colossian Christians, because he says, when you grasp your own behavior, that I'm not doing these things, I'm doing these things, and you're earning your worth and your value and judging yourself by that, by what another says, by what you say about yourself, that's just a shadow. That's nothing, that's not the real deal. Reality is only found in Jesus Christ. What he says, what he has done on the cross for you, that's the reality. And we try to add on and say, look at my report card, God. You know, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. But every time we lean that way, we're losing sight of our God positioning system. Jesus, you alone make me worthy. Jesus, you alone make me a daughter or son in the house of God. Jesus, you alone have the power to deal with all the things in my life. You alone, not me and what I can do. And so Paul says, these are shadow, not the substance. We go on to verse 18, and Paul says, Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. And isn't that funny? So in the church at Colossae, there were people who were having some ecstatic, supernatural experiences. They were seeing, they were worshiping angels, and they were seeing visions of like, the glory of these angels, and they were sharing freely, you know, all these spiritual experiences, feeling that they were so spiritual. But it was a false humility because they were really sharing to say, hey, look at me, first-class Christian, I get visions from God. I'm a first-class Christian, I got this from God, a word from God. And gifts in itself are real. God gives gifts. He pours out dreams and visions, but they're meant to be received as a gift. It doesn't, it's not something we put on as a badge to prove anything. And anytime it slides that way, we fall into grasping at shadows, not the real deal. And so, you know, a person I think of when I think of the false humility, I mean, we have all heard, right, <laughs> false humility. And I, I love Charles Dickens, so I'm going to nerd out for a second. And in Charles Dickens' David Copperfield, there's a great character, Uriah Heep. He's the one on the left. And young David is there on the right. And he is a, a man who has a serious agenda. He has a clear plan to try to benefit himself. But outwardly, he kind of stoops. He kind of, you know, looks weak and like modest and tries everything he can to lower himself. And he says things like, I'm well aware that I'm the humblest person going, said Uriah. Let the other be what he may. Always pointing out that other people are probably not as humble as he is. And we know that if someone says they're humble, <laughs> what is it? They're not humble. And so anytime you're trying to prove yourself, and so this was happening in the church, in the church where there is no priority lane, where there is no second class or economy class, in the church, people were reverting back to the pressures of trying to prove their worth. And they were sharing these things to hold it up. But actually, Paul says, 
All that sounds so spiritual, but it's really unspiritual. This is an unspiritual mind. And how frightening is that? That it seems like one thing, but it really is nothing else. So something for us to think of is, is there any way you are trying to prove your worth or anything by your own spiritual practices? Our spiritual practices, you know, are really important to pray, to commune with God, to be in scripture, to be connected in the, in the corporate body like this. But they're meant to emerge from relationship. They're not meant to earn relationship with God. We don't earn our way into the family. And so anytime we fall into that way, we need to examine and let it go. So is there anything where you are holding on to this practice because you're trying to earn your way? Or is it emerging from your life with God, from a hunger, from a heart, from seeing how awesome our Jesus is and what he has done and desiring to understand more? Is it emerging or earning? Do you feel less than those maybe around us, around you, that have had supernatural experiences? You know, there's plenty in the church that wrestle with the hiddenness of God. Not everyone has a prophetic vision, a word given to them where God seems very personal like a friend. There are so many within our family that have very different experiences of God. And that doesn't mean that they're less. Having more supernatural experiences doesn't raise you up, and having less doesn't make you less. There's only one table, and we all have priority access. You're on the VIP list no matter what because Jesus said so, and you are in him. And so we go on and to verse 19, and Paul says, these people who are, you know, puffed up and showing off about their experiences, says they have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes, causes it to grow. And I love the song that we sang earlier, you know, the bones, they were rattling. And then skin and, you know, muscles are putting these dry bones together. But who is doing that? It's God. Any human, any of us, if we try, like, dry bones live, you know? Addiction in my life, be gone. You know, the situation financially that I'm in, be gone. If we wrestle things through ourselves, we will be weak and we will fail and the dry bones don't quite live. Only God can bring life. And in Jesus, we have access to the living power that raised Christ from the dead. And as we're attached to him, we have life. That life flows through uh, all of us as we are attached to him, not our behaviors. It is not me making it happen. It is as we're attached to Jesus. And so we try to stay remembering that Jesus is our God positioning system. He is the one that allows us to have life. Anything we, anytime we add anything to Jesus, we actually detract from the gospel. It's like, if I have to do this plus receive what Jesus did, that's a negation of the gospel. In verses 20 to 23, Paul talks about rules that seem wise but are empty. He says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why? And so you still belong to the world, you submit to his rules. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use 
are based on merely human commands, and such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but it's really with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. And in the ancient world, there was a big fear of elemental spiritual forces. You know, there's fear of the natural elements of wind and waves and storms. Lives were lost on a regular basis. Children did not get to grow up all the time. The birth rate was really low, the mortality rate. And so there was a big, big fear. And today, despite all of our technology, don't we see how vulnerable we are to the elements? When there's storms and flooding, even in our great city, the nicest homes get flooded. And I found this out recently. You know, electric vehicles have become a thing, right? And they're kind of like the priority lane of the cars. Like super cool looking. One day I aspire to get one and drive one. But I learned that in cold, cold weather, which we had recently, they shut down. <laughs> and I was just like, this is comical. Like, and so cars are like pu pulled off to the side, or I have a friend whose parents has one, and she said, yeah, it just stops running. <laughs> Can you imagine you're driving? And so even with all our advances, we still not, we are not quite in control of the elements. And so we try, we try to protect ourselves in many different kinds of ways through our behaviors. We also try to do this with God. We try to protect ourselves from harm by doing behaviors to the sake, for the sake of earning his blessing and sometimes to earn his protection. Like, Lord, I'm doing all this, so surely you see me, so you will be good to me. And we try to earn what he has already given us. And sometimes it's more, Lord, I'm doing all this, so please don't let the bad things happen. But our Christ went through a cross but he had victory through that cross. And so we, whenever we put it back in our own hands of these rules and ways of relating, then we lose our God positioning system. Jesus alone can handle the storms. Jesus alone can handle the storm in your life, whatever that is. And whatever it is, he can handle it. You might think that what you are carrying today is way too heavy, way too messy, way too complicated for anyone to deal with, and it may be true. Human beings, we can't, we're limited. But give it to Jesus. He is a God who brings life out of nothing, out of death, and brings something out of nothing. And so when we are connected to Jesus, that is what happens. So this is why it's so important to not get off course I gotta make it happen. I gotta do this, but always stay tethered to Jesus, our God positioning system. Not earning our way into the family, but resting in what Jesus has done, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I like to look back. So right before this passage we looked at today, you know, Paul is emphasizing again and again, don't get caught up in the stuff our world does. There's a priority lane. There's ways of proving where you rank. Don't get caught up in that. Everyone's at one table. And he points out, this is a follow-up passage that starts with therefore. And you know how it goes. <laughs> when a passage starts with therefore, you look at why it's there for. 
And so we go to verse 13 to 15, which is right before, where Paul says, when you were dead, when you and I were dead in our sins and in the uncircumcision of our flesh, God made you alive with Christ. When we couldn't do anything and we were dead, he is the one who made us alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. You are debt-free. In the kingdom of God, there is nothing to strive for. You are debt-free and have nothing to prove. And so you and I are walking free, which um, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And verse 15, I love this verse. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. By the cross. An instrument of torture. An excruciating, painful experience. But Jesus is so powerful that he won over all the powers and principalities through the cross. Only Jesus. And why? To give us access, to give us a priority lane. And all of us have access to this family of God. And so when we look back at that, it's like, oh my gosh, Jesus, Paul is saying, look at who Jesus is. Stop striving, stop adding on, stop taking on things that will not add to your worth. But so easily in our world, don't we do that? Oh, I need... Yes, Jesus, of course, but in my career, if I don't have this, I won't do well, so I need to, Jesus, hold on, let me do this, you know? But in all things, we're supposed to be connected to Jesus, and there's so much life Jesus can bring into your family, into your jobs, your relationships, if we would remember where we stand with him, that he does the heavy lifting. We are positioned in him simply by his work, and we can't add to it. There's nothing you can add to it. So I love this quote from a theologian and author, Kevin Emmert. I think it puts this passage so well. It's, it wasn't about this, but I thought it applied really well. And he said, our identity as Christians is not a construct to self-fabricate, but a gift to receive. As Christians, anytime there's a sense of striving, of having to make it happen, to be a Christ follower, we are self-fabricating. We're adding on to a gospel and making it no gospel at all. Jesus has done the work, and our job is to learn how to receive. When everything around us is saying, earn this, earn that, you got to show you're worth it, our job is to receive. Say, Jesus, you did it. I could never do it. To see ourselves for who we really are, weak, helpless, broken, but dearly loved and rescued by God. Amen? So, how do we, amen. Practically, how do we live into receiving? What does it mean to receive? One practice I have really, really loved, and now this is part of my life on a regular basis, is confession. You know, in our world, there's the weak and the strong, and there's such a sense of we have to be strong. We've got to be able to carry things, do things, be self-sufficient, and there's an emphasis on strength. But Jesus triumphed over powers and principalities through the cross. And weakness triumphs over strength. Weakness is stronger when we're connected to Jesus because he's the power at work. And so there is room in the family of God to be broken, 
or to show that you're broken because we all are broken. And so confession, I have found so helpful. I have a monthly accountability confession partner who we just work at sharing this because sometimes I'm really not good at seeing where am I weak because I want to think about where I'm strong. But it's such a good practice because it frees us to say, oh, right, right now I'm trying to earn my worth. I'm trying to appear strong by doing this, by working this kind of way, by saying these kinds of words. I'm trying to make myself look strong. But Lord, I'm trying to add on to you. I'm already valuable. I'm already loved. Why am I trying to earn the love? And so confession is a practice where we can, a cool way to do it is take that formula that Pastor Rich gave us last week. Jesus plus blank equals a complete life. How are we, are, do we have anything in that blank? Because it's, it's just really Jesus equals a complete life. So in confession daily, coming to God with Jesus, am I adding anything to you? to make myself feel better about myself, to make myself earn my place in the family? Am I comparing myself with anybody? And so confession is a beautiful way to receive. And then the second is communion. And those are a couple of things. The practice, the sacrament of communion that we participate in monthly, that's a great way to remember that our faith is just received. Because we walk up to receive Jesus' body and blood what do we do? Do we show an access card? <laughs> and like, I just want you to know, here's my report card of all the wonderful things I've done this week. No, all of us in our messiness and brokenness and struggles get to walk up to that table. And if we have faith in Jesus, we simply partake because he died and made that table for us. And so as a reminder, every time we receive that, that he's done the work and we're all at one table, everyone gets to receive if they come up to receive Jesus. There is no hierarchy there. And so participating in communion and also communion with God in our private times as well as corporately, we pray, we read the scripture to find out who this Jesus is, to remind ourselves of the truth because the world has plenty of things and other thoughts coming at us that you need to earn. You need to be stronger. You need to be this way or that way. You need to prove yourself. And we need the gospel to remind us. And so this comes out of an emerging, not an earning. But it's so important. And the last is community. Where we get to practice, not VIP lane, you know, first class, second class, economy, all of that. But we practice a different kind of community. And we need that to train our souls and to remember what the truth is. And the truth is that everyone is welcome. And that Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And so this is what we practice in community. Not a standing up and trying to stand out, but a how, who is not seen in this family? Who can I make way for? And making that space for them and for each other. That's what we practice in the community, and we can't do that just living a solo life. And so God has given us the church to live into the fact that we are living in a God-positioning system that's based on Jesus alone. Amen. Let's pray. I just want to give you a moment to just think about where you are. Are you resting in Jesus as your God positioning system? Or is your worth resting in anything else? Is it resting in career, in family, in how things are going in your life currently? 
take a moment to come before Jesus to name where you are. He already knows, and let him meet you in that place. Father, we thank you this morning for the freedom you give us in Jesus. Freedom not to strive. We can just simply be because we are loved. We are loved to show up freely. We We don't have to prove anything to you, God. Jesus, we pray today, Lord, for every single person in this room and watching online, Lord, set us free, God the ways we so easily grasp seeking approval or proving ourselves from things of this world from the things people say or don't say about us Jesus set us free today by your power and help us to daily remember that you have done the hard work and because of your cross we are all at the table we all are at the priority lane with full access and you alone have all the power, and we have access to that power. Or there's nothing else in this world. So may we not walk away from the head who gives us life. But Lord, would you set us free to run towards you, to daily embrace you, and remember that you are the one who set us free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship together in response.